Good morning, Good morning campers. campers. Today's activities will include lots of punching and kicks, but for choreography. Lunch today will be an apple. Just take a bite. There's nothing weird about it. And to end the night, we will be walking into the sky to get into God's Cadillac as it flies off to another planet where we can all be safe from the influences of the devil. <laughs> Seriously, we will. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into the apple. The apple. Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. And I just want to put in here real quick, we are actually recording on Marishka Hargate's 58th birthday today. Oh, Marishka Hargate, Marishka Hargate. Marishka Hargate, Marishka Hargate. I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and current drag wrestling manager. And I'm camp counselor, Sarah, but with a triangle on my head. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. And you want to talk about frankly queer <laughs> and overlooked subgenres? It's this fucking movie. Okay, Sam, tell us about, we were talking about this before we started uh, recording, but uh, tell us about your first time watching this movie. How did you come to the Apple? Okay, so uh, my last boyfriend, Sean, shout out to Sean. Uh, he is a gay who hates musicals. I know. Quel horreur. You found the one. <laughs> I found the one. But what he, what he does love wholeheartedly is really bad movies, right? So he, he loves movies where it's evident that they're really trying to make a movie because there's two camps of bad movies, right? There's, eh, let's just make it, get it out the gate kind of shit. And there's a lot of that shit. And then there's, we are really trying to make something. And oh no, everyone hates this. <laughs> that is the kind of movie that I love, the earnestness. And mm. again, coming back to what makes something camp, generally earnestness makes something camp. So he sat me down one day and he said, you have to watch this. You love musicals. We're going to watch The Apple. And I'm like, I've <laughs> never heard of this. And this was like two years ago. And we sat down and we watched it. And I was in utter stunned silence <laughs> for the whole thing. Because I could not believe, mm, pardon me, <clears throat> could not believe what was taking place in front of my eyes on this screen as it was happening. And then you get to the end and the end happens. <laughs> we'll get to the end, campers the end happens and you go what the fuck and I turn to him and I'm looking at him stunned saying what the fuck just happened he's like yeah it just ends and I'm like it ends like that he's like uh-huh but there was no build up to that ending and he's like I know <laughs> it, it, it came out of literally the sky it came out of nowhere he's like uh-huh and i hated that movie i hated it so much 
because I have certain expectations for musicals. I have certain expectations for dystopian futures and I have certain expectations <laughs> for bad films and it hit none of those expectations in <laughs> any direction. So it had been sitting in my mind for a while and I just kept thinking about it again and again. And last year, uh, Dumpster Raccoon at the, uh, the Review Cinema here in Toronto, headed by Anthony Olivieri, doctor, he's a doctor. Uh, so shout out to him and the excellent Dumpster Raccoon. Uh, before we shut down again, he finally got the rights to put this on the big screen. So Sean and I bought tickets and we brought a friend and sitting down, like this was such a great experience. Um, Anthony <laughs> had made bin marks for everybody in the audience. So oh I, still have, I still have my bin mark. I have been bimmunized. <laughs> you have qualified bimmunity. Oh my God. He, so I loved this showing because before he got up, he was talking about the movie and he said, who here has seen this movie? And maybe 15 people put our hands up. Then he said, who hasn't seen this movie? And the rest of the crowd. <laughs> and I was delighted because now watching it with everybody was, oh, it, it's such an experience. Anthony also managed to bring in a special guest speaker who is the niece of Mary Stuart Masterson, the lead BB of this film. Where she Wait, got Mary Stuart Masterson isn't the lead of this movie. Wait, why did I say Mary Stuart Masterson? Mary, oh, what's her name? Mary Catherine, Catherine Mary Stewart. Yeah. Catherine Mary Stewart. Sorry, okay. I've got it the wrong way around. Catherine, I apologize to both Mary Stuart Masterson and Catherine Mary Stewart. <laughs> uh, her niece was there and mm -hmm. said, I, you know, talked about, you know, this is my aunt and my aunt from Saskatoon and, you know, blah, blah, blah. She, so uh, she gave us a little bit of background details of her aunt was studying dance in England when a bunch of her friends said, hey, we're going to hop over to Germany for the weekend because there's a big audition for a movie going on. You want to come with us? And she said, yeah, sure. I'll tag along. You know, it'll be fun to just go to Germany. Got there. Director sees her in the crowd and says, that's our girl. That's our star. She had no intention of auditioning got the lead role. This is her first acting role as well as being the lead of the movie. You and don't from say. There, <laughs> and from there, she's had a prolific Hollywood career, actually. She's been in Night of the Comet. Uh, oh, The Last Starfighter. Was it The Last Starfighter? Or what, what was the other one that's like? No, I think it's The Last Starfighter. Yeah, I think it's that's Last Starfighter. Video game, right? Yeah, she, she's been in a bunch of stuff. And so Denise was talking about that. It was great. We all applauded her. And then Anthony got back on the mic again and said, yeah, I'm sorry. We tried to get the lead in to talk about her experience. But instead, we've got this video and showed a video of her talking to us about, I am so glad you guys are watching my movie. Uh, it was, it, you know, we had no idea at the time that, A, it would be a, such a colossal flop, but then it would become such a cult hit later on in life and we were just ecstatic to see her i'm so glad to see that she's embraced the movie as well as opposed mm -hmm. to being i i never want to speak of this film again 
because I can imagine many people being, I never want to speak of this film again. And, you know, it's got to be tough. I'm a pretty sensitive person myself. I wouldn't want to feel like I was the butt of all these people's jokes. No, but I think that's that's the real difference is that there are people who do see this as a genuine piece of crap film and just yeah, dislike I read it. It's, it's generally considered in some places the worst movie ever made, and by far it is not the worst movie ever made. No, I've seen far worse. We've seen far worse in, in many of our film classes. Yeah. But I... I love this movie. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's garbage. I know it's a hot, wet pile of garbage juice. But I want to sit in this movie. I was so happy to watch it again. And then I rewatched it again to take notes. Because I just, I just enjoy this world that they've built in it. Because it's so over the top. And it's so silly. And it makes no sense. And... I mean, I, I turn it off before it gets to the very end because, you know what? I don't want to sit through that again. That part. <laughs> it's also about the least interesting characters in the movie. Oh, God. I just... I don't care about hippies generally. And then you go and make them... <laughs> then, then you you're go such and a peace this... and love guy, though. And then you're like, fuck hippies. Well, hippies became the people who ruined our planet. They became yuppies. Anyway, how was your experience watching this? It was weirdly enjoyable. We'll get into it when we go into the breakdown beat by beat. But I am I am shocked at how much I love this movie. We'll get into it for the judgment at the end too. But this this movie is not it's not a good movie, but again, it's not the worst movie ever made because I have seen so many movies that are boring or have nothing to say or have less technical prowess. I mean, this movie isn't going to win any awards for technical stuff, but you know, it's, you can understand what people are saying. The shit's in focus. And you know what? You don't always get that with movies. This movie is trying so hard and mm -hmm. they didn't have to. They really didn't have to try this hard <laughs> to make a movie. They're, like The songs are competent. I mean, one of my friends says they, the songs are all garbage. The songs they, are all garbage. They are. They're really bad. I, I will say they are competently made enough where I'm not tearing my hair out at all of them. There are some choices made, for sure. But... So something fun about this is that all of the songs were written in Hebrew first and then translated into English. What? Yes, yes. You're joking. Well, oh. yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll get a little bit into background. So um, we were talking about this over text. Uh, so this movie, it was directed by Menahem Golan, who we have discussed on the show before. We talked about Menahem Golan and his mm -hmm. cousin Yoram Globus in our Venom episode. Mm -hmm. Because uh, they are two Israeli filmmakers, and they at one point were running Canon Films, which held the Superman, I'm sorry, not the Superman rights, which held the Spider-Man rights for a while. That nice Spider-Man boy. 
I'm a nice Spider-Man boy. Um, so they were the ones who came up with the treatment that uh, Spider-Man was kind of like Wolfman and he got shocked by radioactivity and that created both him and Doc Ock. Um, and Stanley said, no, you are not making this movie. <laughs> uh, so they were uh, really, um, what's what I'm looking for? Prolific filmmakers. At one point, uh, Canon Films had over 40 movies come out in one year. Uh, but we're not going to talk about Menahem Golan instead. We are going to talk about a little thing called a morality play. A morality play. Okay. I... Have you ever heard of Pilgrim's Progress? Yes, I have heard of Pilgrim's Progress. But for the people at home who have not been in all the classes we went to together, <laughs> <laughs> please explain them. Okay. Um, so Pilgrim's Progress, I largely knew as a book that people in old books would be reading. So it's like, you know, Joe from Little Women would reference Pilgrim's Progress or something. And I'd be like, what's that? The Pilgrim's Progress is not a morality play. But I'm bringing this up as an example of the sort of stories that morality plays are. Um, so Pilgrim's Progress has um, is a novel uh, with a main character called Christian, basically going through the hero's journey and eventually reaching salvation. So the idea is there's not so much characters in these stories as there are entities made flesh. So we obviously okay. have Christian, who is the main character. He's the everyman. Is, is he Christian? He is Christian, and he is the Christian, and he is a Christian. So he's the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in one. No, because he's just a dude. Oh. So Christian is you or me. He's going on his journey. He's left his sand planet, and he's got a bunch of learning to do. Wait, sand planet? Yeah, you know, the hero's journey. Tatooine. He's staring up at the two binary suns. Oh, oh, I thought for a second Pilgrim's Progress was a sci-fi novel. And I'm like, you've left this detail out. What? <laughs> Joe sitting down in Little Women saying, yes, yes, and my And then dear Christian sisters, ran the, the spice, rode the sandworm. The yeah, the spice <laughs> must flow, everyone. This is what I've learned from Pilgrim's Progress. You've got to put your hand in that box. So uh, Christian goes through all these adventures. He has um, people who help him and uh, hurt him along the way. So, for example, his first friend is named Evangelist. He shows Christian a book which shows him the way. Can you guess what that book is? It's never stated, but that's the sort of thing we're going on. Uh, it's there Dune. are, Yeah, <laughs> it's Dune. <laughs> it tells the story of our savior, Paul Atreides. Um, his name is a killing word and then there are characters like obstinate and pliable and help this is the sort of thing we're going on there's a beautiful woman named prudence there's another beautiful woman called discretion this sort of thing so they are all um, not so much people or characters as they are the embodiments or the personification of these concepts. 
So I bring that up to sort of get us into morality plays. So morality plays are not necessarily a genre. They're basically a grouping that you can say, um, this is sort of thing is a morality play. They were from around the 1300s to around the 1500s in medieval Europe. And uh, if you think of like your classic picture of a traveling uh, actor's troupe putting on plays, this is what a morality play is that they're putting on. So typically these plays have a protagonist, which is the everyman, the average dude, humanity as a whole. And then your other characters are abstract concepts like good and evil or virtue or vice, that sort of thing. And it's basically to teach you a moral. Um, oh, so it's it's the... Don't you put it in your mouth, don't you put it in your mouth, till you ask someone you love, till you ask someone you love. If it's okay to eat, if it's okay to eat, like a muffin or a beet, like a muffin or a beet. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. It's it's like Aesop's Fables. It's like a very special episode on a cartoon. You know, you're supposed to look at it and go, oh, look at how Joey treats his friends when he got a new toy. You don't want to act like Joey when you get a new toy. Friends are the most important thing. Except in this case, it's something like don't be prideful or don't gamble or give to charity. That sort of thing. Don't don't covet thy neighbor's ox. Yes, exactly. Don't cover thy neighbor's ass. Um, I find this interesting because, um, like I said about, you know, Joe reading Pilgrim's Progress and Little Women or something, there's this whole culture around morality plays that would seem alien to us, but that the people there just almost knew implicitly from their culture. So, for example, if you had a character, you know, in one of these plays dressed in red and wearing a pitchfork and with little horns on their head, they might not necessarily know what that means, but all of us instantly know this is not a good guy, you know? You sure? Yes. Same thing if, uh, you know, you see a classically trained British actor in an American action film, you don't have to think very long about who the villain's going to be. Mm -hmm. It's all about connotation. So I found this one thing that was really fun about, um, like, use of language and how people would th would know which character was which. So, for example, if you see a lot of alliteration, that's usually Satan. I'm going to read you some lines um, from a Satan play in <laughs> which play is this? The Castle of Perseverance. Okay. Um, so this is written in sort of old English, and I'm just going to read the translated stuff into modern English. Now sit I, Satan, steadfast in my sin, as devil doughty like a dragon on my sack. I champ and I chew and I thrust out my chin. I am boisterous and bold as Belial the Black. The folk that I grasp, they gasp and they groan. From Carlisle to Kent, my carping they take. Both the back and the buttocks burst burning unbound. With works of vengeance, then wretched I make. It's just fun as hell. Jellico cats and <laughs> it's no that's that's a lot of fun it's it's a lot i mean you were totally right about the alliteration but i was expecting it to be one sound that you're going through but like each 
each couplet, each phrase is focused around a different sound. So I find it just fascinating because I like the idea of these things that we go into. Um, like, for example, in Romeo and Juliet, where uh, Mercutio taunts Tybalt by calling him a cat. And what we don't usually know is that Tybalt is where we get the word tabby from, and he's teasing him like that. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of these um, sort of connotations that don't need to be explained at the time because everybody just understands it implicitly, but that seem completely foreign to us centuries or cultures away, that sort of thing. I just find that sort of thing, like like culture's a, a nut that you can crack and there's so much that you've learned that you can't even put it into words. Yeah. Um, what what was I thinking of? There was there was something I had read or seen a while ago where it was just like, yeah, of course the people in that century would just understand it. I think I was listening to somebody talk about uh, Punch and Judy, mm. right? And how to us, like, it's weird. Punch and Judy is odd, but to anybody back It's horrific, in, honestly. <laughs> Oh, it is horrific. There's alligators and babies being fed to them and killing policemen. Like, Punch is just a horrible person. But it was all squeaks and whistles. And, like, in uh, the the Victorian era, they loved Punch and Judy. They were all for, yeah, let this weird Italian man beat his wife. You might have noticed, as we get into the 1600s, something changed. What that something was was the Protestant Reformation. So you go from most Uh, of Europe... (laughs) Most of Europe having this shared Catholic faith to all of these splinter groups. So you start to see... I I love this. I think this is just like the shadiest shade. (laughs) You start to see variations like the character of Vice will come on stage, but he's dressed as a Catholic priest. (gasps) Or Vice comes out and says a, a Catholic prayer or something like that. I I just it's it's so fun because I feel like you're cracking a code, but at the same time, it's like, oh, we haven't changed at all. No, we've always been these petty assholes. <laughs> But yeah, this is what the apple is, unashamedly. It is a morality play that somehow got made in the wrong century. Uh, to the to the new viewer, this is what we were talking about about the ending of the movie. The this is a morality play about what happens when two good people from Moose Jaw <laughs> from from the sticks. From, from the, the boondocks. Sticks. The boondocks. Uh, encounter the devil, and one chooses to go with them, and one chooses not to, and what happens to them, and their eventual salvation. And it's just fucking weird to have it in this century. <laughs> I mean, it's not just that, but normally, if, if I may speculate, normally mm-hmm. in these morality plays... Isn't there like usually a a fall of some kind that happens if somebody does give in to the uh, the hedonistic or wild or un- ungodly ways, right? Like 
you get like a fallen woman archetype or you get them suffering for their sins for a bit before they achieve salvation. Uh, this movie does none of that. It just says, hey, aren't these cool drug parties with all these queers fun as hell? But you yeah, miss so, out. Sorry. Right. For, so, for example, there is um, a character called Prodigality in one of the movies, and they are arrested and punishment and prodigality is arrested and punished for the robbery and murder of a virtue. So that's the thing you see, you don't want to be like prodigality, prodigality gets punished. Mm -hmm. Well, the weird thing is in this film, there really isn't a punishment beyond some people getting a couple of tickets. There is uh, a odd suggestion that everybody on earth is already in hell kind of which honestly for a movie made 40 years ago <laughs> you're right you're right oh my god yeah the, this this movie man this movie so yeah shall we get into it yeah, uh, one one last thing before we get into the movie. The the choreography was done by somebody quite famous. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever watched So You Think You Can Dance or Dancing with the Stars, I think? Uh, I think I've seen a couple clips of Dancing with the Stars, but I don't think I've ever watched any So You Think You Can Dance. Uh, the One of the main dancers in Magic Mike XXL was a So You Think You Can Dance champion. As you know, as you are wont to know, but uh, one of the judges, uh, Nigel something or other, I can't even remember. I didn't look it up because I only just. Oh yes, into my yes, head. I saw it because he later became a choreographer for American Idol too. He was the choreographer for this film, and he has distanced himself from this film <laughs> as much as possible. And I'm like, uh, okay, I, I can kind of see why you, as a choreographer, might distance yourself because. There, there's generally one kind of way that people dance in this, and that's with punching and kicking. It's very Peacemaker opening titles. Yes, a lot of elbows happening. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. This film. So, yes, shall we get into it? Please. All right. The film starts, and it... It starts, uh, it begins with the title zooming in at you from across a bunch of flags to show that this is a, a worldly happening, even though we're only going to be in West Berlin for this entire film, even though it's also never stated that it is West Berlin. And the, the accents are pretty tricky in this movie. Mm -hmm. As throngs of teens scream and gather themselves at the World Vision Song Festival 1994. This film, which came out in 1980, is set in the far-flung dystopian future of 1994, and they love to remind you that it's <laughs> 1994 as much as possible. <laughs> this, uh, this opening... I was like, is this the Kingston Performing Arts Center? Because it looks like it. Um, and it also gives you the sort of vibe of grandness and size as the Kingston Performing Arts Center does. And we get right into the first song. There's no preamble. There's no, you know, uh, 
you know, the orchestra is just getting warmed up and here's an overture to get, no, here we go. Here's a song. Let's get into it right now with one of the singers on stage screaming out, B! And the I am! Responding with, I am. B! I am! B! And, and then, uh, repeat for three minutes. Boom. Oh man, this opening song. This this movie starts with that watershed moment we constantly talk about. And if you are not in it with this opening <laughs> song, you are not in this movie at all. I should point out at this point that um, the music was done by a man named George S. Clinton, where I saw his name and I was like, holy shit, George Clinton? This is amazing. How did they get George Clinton? No, this is George S. Clinton. George Clinton was in Parliament Funkadelic. George S. Clinton did the apple. <laughs> in Hebrew and then translated it over into English. Yeah. So this is the most fantastic space age costumes in a big disco band. You've got people playing synth you've got people playing weird guitars you've got people playing triangular trombones how they made a trombone triangular i'll never know but they did it for this movie it this, looks like a performance that would happen at the xanadu oh my god the, I, this is this feels like the sequel to the xanadu the xanadu, xanadu became so popular that it took over the world and created the world vision song contest and now we live <laughs> in the dystopian Xanadu future. Uh, we have our two, not leads, but our two antagonistic sort of leads, Pandy and Dandy. Dandy is a white male with bouffant hair, and Pandy is a beautiful black woman with just amazing hair throughout the film. She's incredible. She is one of the saving graces of this movie. Dandy oh looks God. like he's played by Richard Hammond. Yeah. Uh, and they lead the youths in a rousing chorus of Hey, 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 there's no way. Hey, hey, hey. Th and then repeat for three minutes. Yeah. Uh, it is so wonderfully gay. Sequins, glitter, headpieces. You've got a guy in the band with a glittered beard. You have all the kids in the audience just losing it over this song holy shit there's so much punching there's so much back and forth choreo with punching motions a song that at best at best might be a yogurt jingle that is as far as this song is going in the world i mean one thing i'll say about a lot of these songs they sure do like making lists in these songs <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, I've even got here the the main part of uh, not the chorus for the songs is there ain't no blank, there ain't no blank, there ain't no blank, there ain't no blank. There ain't no pleasure, there ain't no pain, pairs like that. On and on and on. And I, I love it. I would kill for these outfits. I would... Uh, 
It's I think so you are selling funny. this performance too hard uh, because there's a certain it factor that a performance needs to be good. Oh, it's garbage. It's hot like garbage. <laughs> the whole thing is awful, but I love how awful it is. Mm-hmm. We cut to one Mr. Boogalow and his entourage of future queens and their giant shoulder pads. I love them. I, I'd never seen men in shoulder pads until this movie. It's incredible. They're not just big shoulder pads. They all go up at the end. Uh, and they're, they're marching through the halls and they're all wearing glittered sequin suits of various colors. And they get into a control room where uh, Mr. Shake is monitoring the heartbeats of the crowd. Whatever I got means. very nervous when I saw Mr. Shake the first time because I was like, this is the setup for the most homophobic joke I've ever heard. And then it never happened. He's just a character. So that made me very happy. He is just a character. He has, I, I mean, he's got gemstones bedazzled onto his teeth. He is glittered from the the topmost hair on his head to the bottommost speck of dirt on his shoes. And he will exist like that for the rest of the film as this incredible gay glitter bomb. And I love it. Yeah, he's black. He's got a, a suit jacket that's cut down to there. So you can see why I immediately got nervous when I saw him on screen. Oh, for sure. This This movie somehow manages to skirt a lot of the worst things it can pop it could have put in like it it presents we'll get to it in a couple songs but it presents um situations that i would normally expect especially in a movie from this era to have treated as a punchline so they but they never have a punchline so you walk away from this movie going Hey, Mr. Booklu and his friends are pretty queer and pretty fun. They're having a good time yeah. together. They're all nice to each other. Yeah. Like, they're all weirdly supportive of one another. I yeah. Mean, they, they're, they're a little sinister, but not like capital S sinister. They're just kind of like, we're in the background controlling things. They're not the sinister six. They're like the sinister two and a half. Yeah. So, Mr. Shake is monitoring heartbeats whatever that means. And he announces that as the teens are mobbing the stage, that they've scored 150 heartbeats. This is never really referenced again in the film. There's no point to it other than to show what comes next. Uh, Mr. Boogalow says that Pandy and Dandy will be the hottest hit of the decade, which is really easy to do when you've created a song contest for your artists and you choose which artists win and then you get to promote those artists. Boy, it's a good thing nothing like that happens in real life, huh? <laughs> I know. It's it's wild, isn't it? Uh, he asks uh, one of his lackeys, Ashley, to get to work on merchandise for them. And he says, T-shirts. And everyone knows that's a bad idea, but better ones will come soon, as we'll see. So uh, now we get introduced to a duet 
Bibi and Alfie from a little town in Canada called Moose Jaw. You know Moose Jaw, land of a thousand accents. Yeah, where Bibi is perfectly Midwestern, you know, Canadian, fine accent, and Alfie is sometimes Scottish. Exactly. Uh, they gave me a real Carpenter's vibe at first, so much so that I thought they were brother and sister for like the first three scenes of the movie. God, you would like it would. They're supposed to be a passionate romantic duo, and I get none of that. Oh no, no, especially not Alfie, who is the most boring character in the entire movie. Uh, Bibi's very pretty, and she has like nice long hippie hair and things like that. She's she's trying at times, uh, whereas mm-hmm. Alfie, I don't feel like is go queen. Give me nothing. Yeah, he's in the wrong movie. The right movie would be nowhere near this movie. No, he he would be good as, like, a cop who plays by his own rules. If those rules were monitoring chess matches or (laughs) devious chess things. Just something, he's just so bland, milk toast, nothing. Mm -hmm. They sing a song. You know, these guys are supposed to be the most boring so that they can get, quote unquote, corrupted. That's uh, yeah, yeah. Again, coming back to the morality play idea of they're supposed to be pure and innocent and untouched by the greater world. Mm-hmm. They sing a song called "Love," the universal melody, which is a handful for a title. It's they're out there. Probably the best song in the movie. Probably. I need you to leave this podcast immediately. How <laughs> dare? How dare you talk down? To songs like Speed or Coming For You. Oh, Speed's the worst song. (laughs) Anyway, they're out there with an an acoustic guitar and somehow backed up by drums and several other instruments that don't actually exist. Yeah, they have a full string section going on, but that is quite quite true to the Eurovision Song Contest. To be fair, uh, I don't like this song, but apparently all all the teens hate it at first, but then all the girl teens fall in love with it immediately. And they're crying. And and I also want to point out with these teens, for some reason in in this dystopian future of 1994, there's a a fashion statement, which is uh, spray painting your hair, not one color, but several colors in stripes. Because you'll see them sitting there with white hair, but big red stripes through it. You're like, this is a choice. This is a whole choice that happened for this world building. And I appreciate it. This is also a movie that was like, we don't want everyone in the future to be wearing one-piece V-neck silver jumpsuits. Because that's been done. What everybody instead will wear is V-neck silver windbreakers. Mm Mm-hmm. With shoulder pads. With shoulder pads. Uh, And it's all the exact same type of silver fabric, too. So me looking at that, I'm like, oh, they got a deal on, like, 7,000 yards of silver fabric. (laughs) And they said every extra is going to be dressed in this. You're going to fit into this whether you like it or not. Exactly. Everything is silvery, holographic, and triangle. Which I appreciate. 
I I would love to see a the apple inspired palette. Oh God, can you imagine? Everything would so, be in triangles, like bib marks. <laughs> uh, my apple inspired uh, color palette for my eyes. Thank you. They the girl teens, or the few that we see, are crying over this song. They love it. It's just tears flowing and all the boys are like, oh, I don't get it. And then they see their girlfriends like crying over it. And then they go, well, you know, if it helps me make out with this girl, I guess it's pretty good. Yeah, Your performance of heterosexuality is incredible. I thank you. <laughs> I, I performed <laughs> it for quite a while before I came out. <laughs> we cut back to Mr. Boogalow, who is aghast in, in the control room, going, what's going on? And Mr. Shake says, they're nobodies, I swear. Just a couple of kids from Moose Jaw. And that's when the number of heartbeats climbs up to 151. It's already beat the BIM song. (laughs) Because this crowd is full of Canadians who did the typical Canadian thing of like, they mentioned Canada! So Mr. Boogalow orders that the red tape be played. And Mr. Shake goes up to the guy controlling everything and says, you're going to put this on. You're never going to mention it because if you do, we'll kill you. He, he also <laughs> says, you aren't going to ask any questions. And the tech guy immediately says, but what if someone sees? <laughs> <laughs> if they see, you're dead. The second that this 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 tape is played, this horrible sound comes over the speakers that's worse than this song currently. And all the teens instantly turn on, on the two performers on stage and they try to mob the stage. Boo! Have you seen the Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, Eurovision movie? I think it's called Fire and Ice Saga. No, I have not. Okay. It's this movie. It's some people getting to Eurovision that shouldn't have gotten to Eurovision and everyone panicking when they're successful. <laughs> That's great. So Mr. Boogalow now does his Aaron Sorkin moment of walking and talking with the press. And uh, he's being asked by various foreign press people who come from various countries, and he's responding in their language of choice. He speaks Italian, he speaks French, he speaks German, and then one man comes out and asks him, well, I heard that these plucky duo from Moose Jaw, they they did really well, better than the BIM song. And Mr. Mr. Boogalow stops in his tracks, says, what is your name? I mean, we haven't even described what Mr. Boogalow looks like. He is a very angular man. He is played by an actor named Vladek Shebal, um, which I think most people would probably know as an English character actor. He was in From Russia with Love. He played Kronstein. Um, if you listen to the podcast Kill James Bond, they loved Kronstein so much that they created the Kronstein rosette that they give out every episode uh, for a villain who goes above and beyond. And I believe that Vladek Shabal uh, commemorates the Kronstein rosette in every performance. He does not have to be as good as he is in this movie. He is Arch with a capital A. He is Sinister with a capital S. And he is 
queer as hell. If you wanted to put him down, you could say, you know, we have Vincent Price at home and it's Vladek Shaval, but I think that would be reducing his, his impact. I think he really is a great actor and particularly great in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Like I, like Vincent Price is incredible, no doubt, but Mm -hmm. to compare the two, you're, you're comparing two entirely different kinds of performers who aren't going for the same performance. No, I would argue that they're in, they're in the same genre of acting. Yes, for sure. But where a Vincent Price performance would be very much about how he says the words, Mm. uh, what we're getting from Mr. Bugalow is a lot of how he embodies the words. He does a lot of face acting, which for his face, he has a very distinct face, like a wonderful goatee, like high cheekbones, just piercing eyes. Dark, dark, dark hair. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wonderful. And he's always dripping in blacks and reds. And usually has one big earring on. Oh yeah, and like the villains in this have no problem being blinged out. He's got he usually has a a wonderful bow tie with a big necklace underneath it too, for no reason because it's the far flung future of 1994. Why wouldn't the most powerful man on the planet be dressed to the nines? Yeah, this is depraved bisexuals. The movie. <laughs> so when he gets asked by this reporter, he asks him, what's your name? Joe Pittman. Joe Pittman. Basically says, uh, you're not going to print that question tomorrow uh, if you value your job. And as he walks away, he pulls Mr. Shake towards him and he says, "Uh, Joe Pittman. uh, What about that name? Just just remember it. And it does come back later. Minnesota, Minneapolis, someplace with an M. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly the kind of vibe. So, <laughs> they, they uh, get to their, their vehicles, which is, uh, this is 1980. What, a, what year did the episode of The Simpsons, where Homer Simpson finds out that he has a half-brother, come out? 1992? 1993? Oh, the one played by Danny DeVito? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to be sometime around there, yeah. Okay, so this movie came out in 1980, 12, 13 years before that episode. And these people are driving around in the Persephone, the car <laughs> that Simpson designs for Danny DeVito's character, because this has every piece that he was talking about. It's got a domed hood on top. It's got a spoiler on the back. It's got winged parts. It's, they're hideous. Yeah, everything has has domes on the top, like they're Lego cars. Yeah, I, it's uh, if if somebody in the Simpsons writers' room did not see this movie <laughs> and say, "I'm going to put that as a joke in the Simpsons," I would honestly be surprised that it's just bizarre kismet that these two cars look identical. So they drive off to the after party where they're going to celebrate. Pandy and Dandy's success. And everything in here is also holographic and triangles. They are presented with triangular glasses. 
to drink from. Oh, is that okay? That's why they're BIM glasses. I did not get it. They just looked enormous to me, like they were drinking out of vases. I mean, they probably are vases, but it was all (laughs) more triangles because if there's one shape that's a theme of this film, it's a triangle. And if only triangles were related to queerness in some sort of way. Hmm. Alfie and BB show up to this party for some reason. And uh, they're they're kind of jokingly brought in. You know, just like a, well, you, you two tried and, you know, good luck, but... Yeah, everybody's clowning you know, on them. Isn't it cute that you thought you could come here and win? Yeah, yeah. And this is where Ashley introduces the BIM mark. And at first he's just got it on his ear. It's a little triangle. And Mr. Pugalow's just, oh, what, what is this? A, a BIM earring? No, it's a BIM mark. It's a little sticker. And you can stick it anywhere on your body. And Mr. Bugalow loves this idea. Like, even calling attention to everyone at the party, saying, ah, ah, look at what I'm doing. I am placing my bin mark on my head. And it's just this holographic triangle. I love This it. is the sort of thing that I would have written when I was, like, 8 to 12 in a story, to be like, look, it's dystopian. And then nowadays I'm like, no, adults, adults don't put stickers on their faces. Uh, you can be the sort of adult who wants to put a sticker on their face, but you're going to have to put up with other people staring at you about it. Not if everyone's got a sticker on their face. Yes, yes. But that in-between period, which the film conveniently skips over, that's the tough part. The in-between I, I period. I did think, though, that this would be great if you were an asshole and you were trying to make this about masks. The in-between period of the bin mark is in between Ashley coming up with it and then Boogalow adopting it. <laughs> that is the in-between period. Yeah. Because immediately everybody at the party just starts putting them on and for the rest of the film you will only see uh, three other adults who do not wear the bin mark. Mm-hmm. Everybody at this party is also dressed like a drag queen or a mm-hmm. drag performer. It is there, there's there's no uniformity to the costumes beyond is it sparkly? Is it holographic? Is it somewhat futuristic? Can we fit a triangle in it? Yeah, that's the baseline. Is it a then, deep V? Can you pair it with a boa? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I it it is like the untucked room at RuPaul's Drag Race, except <laughs> if it was 50 people lounging mm-hmm. around. Well, Alfie is offered some champagne, which he turns down because he doesn't drink, right? He's pure. He's noble. Bibi accepts immediately and is yep. given what, what is Bibi will not- take anything you offer her. <laughs> and she is given not a champagne glass or a champagne flute, but a uh, a very shallow fishbowl full of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> She's then offered a pill by um, is it Pandy or Dandy by Dandy, Dandy. and uh, and he says it's fine, and she's like okay, and then immediately starts making out with him. Is this the it, pill? Who knows? This is why again I thought along with the carpenter's vibe that she and Alfie were brother and sister for a while because she immediately goes to a party and starts making out with the next guy she sees. 
he tells her, so she first says, wow, I've never been so high in my life. Yes. Talking about how high she is in the building, looking down upon people. He brings out the pills and just, fill up pills, they won't hurt you. It's like, what? <laughs> Who talks about pills this way? This, this and, um, uh, Mr. Boogaloo mocking Alfie for not drinking. It's it's the situation they tell you about in school when they're like, now listen, kids, sometimes you might be peer pressured. Peer pressure. I have that in capitals in my notes. Peer <laughs> pressure. This is what they showed you when you were like... No thanks. I don't drink alcohol. Check out this loser who doesn't drink alcohol. Uh, when in reality, that has never happened to anyone ever. It's it's so wild because we never find out what the effects of this pill are. No, <laughs> it, it's just she. A pill. She does not she change in any way throughout this entire movie. Things she happen is... to BB. BB does not uh, affect anything. <laughs> Oh my god. And we immediately go into a doo-wop number of uh, Dandy singing to her that she's made for him. She's being seduced by evil. And uh, there's this recurring shot that happens in the song of Ashley sitting in a chair yes. turning around. And there's a different woman at first in his lap until it becomes a man. And then it becomes a different man. And it's just amazing. It's great. Depraved bisexuals. Depraved bisexual Ashley. And it's people dancing with people and kind of dragging people around. A lot of uh, ooh-wah, ooh choreography of moving your head slightly back and forth. And um, even the bureaucrats that followed Mr. Bugalow around are in on the number because... In this world, when a musical number happens, and you will find this out later in the film, you must take part. <laughs> it is mandatory. <laughs> this is one of the better songs in the movie. Uh, it's by no means catchy or good, but it uh, it does what a song is supposed to do. The energy of the movie uh, of the song is what carries this song, mm-hmm. not. Not the song itself, but what it's doing in terms of somewhat plot structure of moving us along. Of mm-hmm. Look how depraved these bisexual weirdos are. Look at them having fun with champagne and triangles. Exactly. It doesn't show them like <laughs> drinking to excess. It doesn't show them taking a ton of drugs. They nope. are literally just dancing around. You could have replaced all of them with Muppets and you wouldn't see anything untoward. Oh, that's right. That's what you sent me as one of your texts. You said, this is a Muppet movie where all the Muppets have been excised. Yes. It feels, it's Garfield without Garfield, Muppets without Muppets. (laughs) And it, it really has that energy of weird things are happening. This is just the world that we live in. Okay, I guess. Everyone's playing to the Muppet level, uh, but uh, there are no Muppets to bounce off of. Yeah. So the song ends with Dandy and BB kissing just as the crowd parts to let Mr. Boogalow and Alfie see her getting kissed. 
and oh, he no. is so mad. <laughs> so the next day, they show up at Boogalow's International Music, B-I-M, BIM, in order to um, find out what Mr. Boogalow has in store for them. Alfie warns that signing with BIM will destroy them, and BB argues that it could just make them instead. He says, you don't know what these big American contracts are like. <laughs> all right, all right, hon. Let's <laughs> see what happens. And they're forced to wait with a bunch of weirdos in an airport terminal that's being used as a waiting room. Yeah, this between film. this and the um, the stadium that the World Vision was held in and everything, I was like, I... I messaged you at the time i was like this whole movie feels like it was shot in an airport i thought they were just going to stay there the whole time and keep redressing it no no and this literally is an airport um just as he's getting upset about waiting around with these new weirdos a new song starts and now everyone is in glittery circus numbers with ballet 2000 and a circus and tap dancers and segways yeah, it's a big um, Busby Berkeley, but uh, Dollar Store Busby Berkeley. Yeah, and there's a real unfortunate part to this song of it's Mr. Boogalow's song, kind of him explaining his whole shtick. And he's directed fine and whatnot, but for some reason they decided, oh, we'll just record the rest of the cast live. So you get the echoes of them singing <laughs> in a big, empty airport terminal and him coming through very clear that he's been recorded in the recording booth. Why? <laughs> Why were these choices made? That's the thing. These were not people who uh, were inexperienced with filmmaking at this point. Like, around oh. the same time they were releasing Superman 3 or Superman 4, they made Masters of the Universe. Like, these were experienced people. And they appear to have um, differing opinions on where the money should go. <laughs> oh my god. It's, it's a weird song, too, because there's a tempo change right as it gets into the chorus. Yes, uh, it goes something like, this is show business in 1994, and then the rest of the song is completely different. It yeah. just changes for that one line. It's it's so weird. Like, you think you, think you know where this film is going, and then it doesn't even zag, it absorbs. <laughs> My God. And they love telling you that it's 1994 in this number as well. Yes. <laughs> Which, given uh, that every street scene looks like a desolate wasteland from <laughs> B-roll of a Kids in the Hall sketch, kind of works. Is Are you thinking of the sausages sketch? Oh, I woke up and I dreamed of sausages again? No, um... That, that, that's no, that's the, the pear dream. That's the pear dream. No, the one where it is a dystopian future and I'm living with Scott Thompson as his father... And he's just always at the dinner table going, sausages, sausages, sausages. And he goes to work at a sausage factory. 
it's it's got a very Brazil feel to it because he falls in love with the sausage factory and then undoes <laughs> the work of the sausage factory. Meanwhile, Scott Thompson's at home just screaming for sausages. <laughs> uh, not specifically, but in general, yes. Yeah, you get the feel. You understand the vibe that Kids in the Hall does. Yeah. Oh, I love Kids in the Hall so much. Anyway, the song ends. It's a wild-ass song. There's twirling batons, there's segues, there's boas, there's tap numbers. And after a while, you, you when you start going, for some reason, this is here, the whole movie is, for some reason, this is here. Yeah. So you just go with it. You cut to Alfie and Bibi walking into Mr. Boogalow's office. Everything is triangular and holographic. He has a theme, and he is sticking to it. <laughs> It's called graphic design cohesion. And part of that graphic design cohesion is now everyone's wearing a BIM mark. (laughs) Alfie and Bibi are told that they're going to sign their contracts, two separate contracts for two separate performers. And they're like, but we're a duo. Oh, but it's for your best interest. This is like if Phantom of the Paradise was bad. Everything... (laughs) Everything that Phantom of the Paradise executed at uh, a 10, this movie is doing at a 3. Yes. Yeah. These two films do feel like opposite sides of the same coin kind of thing going on, right? Where they're both trying. Everything is so earnest. And we get where they're both pulling their references from. But one of these films is really pulling it off and the other one it it tripped on its way into the doorway and now it's flailing on the ground desperately trying to get purchase yeah this was looking at phantom of the paradise's homework uh and trying not to make it look like they copied (laughs) so bb trusts these contracts and she's all like great you guys want to make me a star and they're telling her like we're already selling your first album. You're going to go on tour next week. We've got a costume designer here today that you're going to see in 20 minutes. And Alfie is just going like, wait, 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 hold on a second. I want to read the contract. I mean, this is the only sane thing that Alfie says in the entire film. <laughs> you're right. Read the contract. Know what you're getting yourself into. Totally fine. So they're trying to coax him into signing the contract. And as he's about to, he starts hallucinating. You know, the apocalypse. He hallucinates that the apocalypse is happening. I actually and- think this scene is really effective. It's it's taking some jumps. It's doing something that Phantom of the Paradise might do. Um, is it done well? I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's doing something that didn't feel like the easiest thing to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he, he keeps trying to tell everybody that there was an earthquake and everything's going dark. And everybody's standing around him going like, are you okay, bud? Because now he's just a strange man who refuses to sign a contract and is blaming it on an apocalypse only he can see. He, <laughs> um, 
there's this great moment where he he has the contract on a table and he bends down to sign it and all the lights go down and he stands up and all the lights go back up and it's incredibly obvious and simple but i i think it works really well oh that does work really well right it's just odd that this is a a power or a moment that only he has and only right now for whatever reason oh yeah he has the shining for one scene i get what you mean (laughs) yeah and as he starts to refuse to sign it the scene literally changes to the pits of hell where Mm -hmm. mr boogalow is the devil uh alfie and bb are adam and eve naturally mr shake is there as a snake uh, and now everybody is dressed up as I will read you a list of things that show up: vampires, demons, dead people, zombies, skellies, pig people, a Napoleon, and a yes. there is one Napoleon. The vampire this- is also. You are told in the lyrics that this is a vampire, but you look at it and it's clearly Bride of Frankenstein. So this is where the titular apple is brought out as Dandy and Pandy. Dandy is stood there bronzed up, literally. Like this isn't like spray on tan he's wearing. He's bronze. He's wearing a loincloth. And uh, he he brings out the apple and he tempts BB with temptation of the apple. Uh, The costumes in this are very like high school production costumes. Yes. (laughs) This is this is where the costuming department was just like, do you want us to make how many dead people costumes for yes. how many? And you want them all to dance? I'm just going to give you a bunch of body suits. You do something with that makeup and hair. Done. Yep. This number is huge choreography because you've got people climbing up parts of the sets as they're singing You've got multiple groups of people moving in and out of each other. It's a high energy, fast paced. It's disco, thing. disco, disco. Uh, I I would like to present to you my favorite lyric from this song. <clears throat> it's a natural, 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 natural desire. Meet an actual, actual, actual vampire. And then all the other lyrics are <laughs> apple, 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 apple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an actual, actual, actual vampire. Yes. Perfect. There's so much hands and kicking. Uh, it's, I mean, this, if anything in this film is the morality tale, this is morality tale, capital M, capital T, because we get it. They're being tempted by temptation. Alfie refuses to give in. Baby is Eve, and she gives in wholeheartedly. And then we cut back to Alfie coming out of this hallucination, screaming, you'll never get me. Never. And he leaves BB there. Because he's a douche. <laughs> in, in all fairness to Alfie, the baking soda of men, uh, <laughs> he, he does try to convince Kiki as much as either character. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep calling her Kiki. She's BB. It's so hard to keep these consonants. Exactly. Uh, He does try to convince her as much as anyone in this movie uh, has a character and interacts with each other as people rather than concepts. Um, 
She briefly tries to go after him, but is very quickly stopped. Uh, and immediately it pivots into a new song from Mr. Boogalow, a real bad song. Not I disagree. Of- I'm going to sometime make a Doctor Who fan vid to this because it's all about what a great master he is. My, my issue with the song isn't that it's a bad song. It's a perfectly fine song compared to all the rest of the songs. It's more the subject matter and who's singing what parts of this song mm. that comes off as real unfortunate. Mr. Bugalow is singing about how he is a master and what it takes to be a master, clearly in reference to I am the devil and I'm lording over the world. Mm-hmm. And then you get the two black characters, Pandy and Mr. Shake singing back to him and we're so happy to be your slaves it's also done in a, a jamaican style yeah i mean that that part i don't have such a bad problem with but it, it's more so the 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 optics of yeah, you know, yeah an evil white guy singing about how great it is to be a master and keeping people in mind with pain and greed and evil and then the two black characters sing back yes, boy, we love being your slaves. Mm-hmm. And that's my issue, right? Yeah. Just beyond that, fun song. You get this fun little montage of Phoebe being, um, she, she's having her Josie and the Pussycats moment of people doing her hair. She's getting new clothes. She's going to the gym. They're teaching her how to dance. Some fun stuff with the mirror where, as she's in the dance studio, you can see her with a big mirror behind her, and she spins forward, and suddenly Mr. Boogalow is there. You go, oh, where did he come from? Well, he's the devil. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Great. Any other thoughts you, you wanted to go on about? Just You just want to make a fan video to this about the master from Doctor Who? I think it would be very fun, yes. Which master? Any specific one, or just all of them? Oh, I'd want to do all of them, but Sash and Dewan is my favorite. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. He's very handsome. Ooh, look at you. I know. I'm a big fan of Missy. But then again, I am a big queen, and she's a big queen. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't immediately clock that. <laughs> uh, it's great. So um, the the song ends and they're getting into their Persephone's as Bibi is hounded by the press where they're asking her questions and she's giving, ooh, brainwashed answers of, oh, I don't have time for boys. And, oh, you know, uh, BIM is the greatest company on earth kind of thing. And it's, I know that the movie's trying to tell us, ooh, she's being brainwashed, but she's a huge star. She loves this. Of course you're going to say Ben is great. Yeah. And this is where we get immediately into speed. This is the worst. This is the worst song. Tell, tell me why you think this is the worst song. Uh, because there's on the nose and then there is uh, applying 12 layers of makeup to the nose and then pointing a Looney Tunes gun at it, shooting and having a flag come out that with has an arrow pointing to it and saying, this is a bit on the nose. <laughs> I 
love this song. I I do. I actually really enjoy this song. It's it's got a a, a slight veneer of it's a song about patriotism, mm-hmm. and then underneath that slight veneer lies a a stinking pile of garbage that's screaming this is a song about drugs <laughs> it's the closest <laughs> this movie gets to subtext because uh bb's singing so much about how she needs speed and america moves so fast today and mm-hmm. uh it's the suggestion that they have her drugged up and she needs speed and she needs it bad uh mm-hmm. and i i applaud <laughs> the effort <laughs> the attempt at subtext there was an attempt Mm-hmm. Everybody is on motorcycles, leather costumes. Um, again, the choreography is a lot of punching. I am surprised she never got punched once in the face by anyone <laughs> because those fists are going super close to her face as she's going through this tunnel of people. And, um, oh, also surprise appearance by one Finola Hughes. Yes, I saw her mentioned in the Wikipedia article as this was her debut, but I don't know who she is. Uh, well, we haven't gotten to it yet, but did you ever watch Charmed? Uh, no, but I know of it. Okay, she is the girl's mom from Charmed. Gotcha. But she was also in a uh, little made-for-TV movie that uh, Fox and Marvel Studios put out in 1996 called (gasps) Generation X, where she played Emma Frost, the White Queen. Oh. (laughs) So we're covering that, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Fanola Hughes is in it. A lot of punching. Gotta have speed. She needs speed. Speed. I actually want to learn some of the choreography from this number because there's some cool things to it. But anyway, suddenly Miriam Margulies is accosted by a cop. Miriam Margulies is in this movie. Acting. Why? No one knows. (laughs) She doesn't sing. She doesn't dance. Um, In fact, her role is nothing. She doesn't need to be here. You can easily excise her from it. But I'm not going to because it's Miriam Margulies doing a bizarre Jewish accent. Oh yeah, this this tiptoes right up to being anti-Semitic. Again, the thing that the movie does best is tiptoeing up to some very problematic things <laughs> and then walking the other way as quickly as possible. She's Holy Alfie's shit. landlady, so I guess she's there to show us, you know, the common man. She gets stopped on the street for not wearing a bin mark and gets a ticket and that sort of thing. But it, she is... She's too good for this role, for one thing. Yes. Uh, and she is such a reprieve to have a relatively normal character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the problem is she's burdened by being in scenes with Alfie where exactly. she's a goddamn delight and he is a sad sack of um, instant mix mashed potatoes that has not <laughs> been mixed. He's just the powder. Yeah, there's a, a part where she says, oh, I heard you writing that song last night. And then she gets sort of wistful and stares off into the middle of the distance and says, it reminds me of the old days and it it kind of made me cry. And I was like, holy shit, somebody's acting in this movie. Is everybody prepared? 
But then her good, good acting is immediately squashed as Alfie comes up behind her and grabs her boobs. I knew there was a heart in that big old bosom of yours, and she just giggles, and it makes me so uncomfortable. This is such a wild thing to happen, because, A, we don't like this, period. (laughs) This is a bad thing. Don't grab people's chests or any body part without their consent, please. But B, Alfie has been a non-entity of a character. He is human rolled oats. And for some reason, the writers decided, what if he was just to sexually assault his landlady? And it's the fact that the movie makes it very clear that this is not... The movie doesn't view this as aggressive or wrong in any way. I mean, this is a movie about the music industry, and the only person who sexually assaults anyone is our hero. <laughs> I know! Um, but also, it's the fact that, you know, it's Miriam Margulies, so he doesn't really mean it. And I just, I hate it so much. For anyone who hasn't seen my drag, I am Miriam Margulies in drag. You are. I, I am, and I take great pride in that power. Big fun ant vibes. Yeah, I I know I'm not going to be a pageant queen anytime soon. I know I'm not going to be beautiful and sexy. But what I can be is Miriam Margulies. And I will will champion this goddamn woman for the rest of my life. And speaking of (sighs) which, she she is quite beautiful in this movie. Oh my god, they try to, like, they, they try to make her look downtrodden and frumpy and whatnot, but she's got this light in her eyes and this, this presence of character that mm-hmm. when she's on screen, even though there's scenes involving Alfie, I'm like, I just want, want more of Miriam, please. Mm-hmm. So uh, he goes off to sell a bad, bad song that we are forced to listen to. And the song is all about how BB has been taken from him and love is now dead because he can't have her anymore. And he's being so melodramatic. And he, and of course he doesn't sell the song because a, the dystopian future of 1994 uh, really doesn't want this sad, sad song and B, Oh, he's just a melodramatic twat. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, he gets accosted in the park by a cop for not wearing a bin mark. Well, okay. When suddenly the loudspeakers that are everywhere (laughs) announce to everyone that because it is 4 p.m., everyone must stop what you are doing and engage in mandatory BIM exercise, a full hour of dancing to the BIM song. For an hour. For an hour. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, people pull their cars. They don't pull them to the side of the road. They just stop them in the middle of the road. Everybody stops all their cars in the middle of the road. Everybody gets out into the streets. And this is where we see cops, nuns, firefighters who are in the middle of fighting a fire and stop to sing and dance. Bikers, surgeons who wake up their patient so he can also sing and dance. Hairdressers old people, a fitness class, commuters, everybody stops what they are doing in order to sing and dance. 
And I love this stupid piece of world <laughs> building. Have you ever read 1984? I don't need to. I've seen the apple. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody skimmed 1984 because there's something very much like this that happens in it. Um, but imagine, imagine if you will, a future where your devices spy on you. Uh-huh. So, you know, the main character in 1984 has to do his BIM hour in front of the TV where he's watching like an exercise program, but his TV also watches him to monitor him and make sure that he's taking part. Uh-huh. Uh, so I feel like the filmmakers read 1984 really fast, like for a book report or something, and were like, mandatory exercise hour. Yep, got it. Dystopia, got it. <laughs> Uh, everybody is so well-dressed and they are all so well-coordinated in this mandatory dancing hour to, I mean, it's supposed to be the BIM song. It's not the full BIM song because it's only one line from the BIM song, which is, hey, 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 there's no way, repeated, I don't know, 90 times. <laughs> yes. We see this for two minutes. We don't see the hellish hour. What if we did, though? <laughs> oh, I would, I would love to see a montage of various people all over the world forcibly dancing to the BIM song. There are old ladies doing this. They are falling down dead by minute 45. They are all punching and kicking because that's how you dance in the <laughs> far-flung dystopian future of 1994. Your feet uh, do not move. <laughs> from their position on the ground. One thing a friend of mine brought up while we were watching this together was, why would you schedule anything for near 4 p.m.? This is what I was thinking too. Why would you start a surgery at 3.45? Knowing full well that at <laughs> 4 o'clock, you will be forced to dance for an hour. It's it's genius. It's is yeah, it of course is it though? I I mean it's genius in this good good joke of showing surgeons stopping a surgery <laughs> to wake up their patient who must also dance. To yeah, this. the movie suddenly goes by Rocky Horror logic. Mm hmm. It's a very Rocky Horror logic moment. Uh anyway, this song quote-unquote song leads to alfie being sad outside of a poster for bb crowning her you know bim's newest sensation when a huge crowd swarms in and makes it hard for him to move because what's this oh bb's coming out of the door so alfie's trying to scream bb over a crowd who are also screaming bb good move there bud of course she'll hear your one word over everyone else's word. But he is heard by her, and she goes, oh, Alfie, Alfie, no, and he's BB, no. Uh, Dandy stops Alfie and says, listen, man, she's made her choice. She's a huge star. Who are you? You're fucking nothing. So they get into a fist fight, and uh, then the bodyguards kick the crap out of him too, and he deserves it. Yeah, this was a, around the time that I wrote the note. Well, 
as well, this movie is only 90 minutes long, thank God. But an hour <laughs> in, I made the note, is this the movie? Like, this is what we're... Uh, we're not doing anything different. This is the movie. Okay. Uh, and then I also wrote, uh, this movie's about Alfie seeing one dude in glitter and his mind never recovered. <laughs> great. Uh, uh, BB is dragged off to her dope-ass apartment where she lives with Pandy and Dandy. And she sings and laments that she can't see Alfie again as it rains outside. And then he sings and laments that he can't see her as he stumbles around wherever the fuck this is, back to his apartment, looking like shit. He looks like shit, not his apartment. His apartment's okay. And um, they're, they're both sad, but she's less sad than him because she's, you know, pretty cool, and he sucks. And it's raining. And her eyebrows look like an evil drag queen's eyebrows. Evil drag queen eyebrows. Well, Alfie wakes up the next day with Miriam uh, Margulies having broken into his apartment, going, oh, I was so worried that you were going to die in the middle of the night, and I don't want to have to deal with cops who are telling me that you died in my apartment. So uh, here's some soup, I guess. It's, uh, it's a weird moment for Miriam. Yeah. She, she likes him. She hates him. She wants her rent money, but she also just, she's also giving him like 75 chances. And quite frankly, he doesn't deserve it, but she convinces him to go out and get the love of his life. Yeah. It's something like, you know, how does she know that you want her if you won't go chase her? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, the usual, you're the man, you've got to be a hero. And it's like, nah, man, She's a. she made her decision. She's a cool rock star now. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. This We then go back to the bin loft, which is what I will call it, bin loft. It's really cool. It looks like it's got, like, trees growing in it and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like a greenhouse slash observance deck slash party central well it looks like they live on timothy dalton's planet from uh flash gordon Ooh, yeah except everything's in triangles and holographics as opposed to green (laughs) well at the bim loft there is a wild sexual deviant party happening under red lights and it's filled with drag performers and leather daddies and everyone, everyone's skewing the gender norm. And this freaks Alfie out. Oh, He's no. terrified. He is terrified. He keeps but- opening doors and interrupting people who look up in all sorts of different positions and gender mixes and stuff. And he, he might as well vomit on the screen from his reactions. Yeah, Pandy swoops in to save him, quote-unquote save him, Mm -hmm. from a bunch of uh, queens on the stairs, and takes him to the bar, where the reporters from before... (gasps) They work for Bim now. Oh, no, that name that we were supposed to remember that I've forgotten already? Yeah, he now works for Bim. Oh, no. (sighs) And anyway... While Alfie's in shock, Pandy somehow manages to ply a drink into his hands, which he drinks. 
and mm-hmm. demands that Mr. Bugalow release Bibi from her contract. Mr. Bugalow, ha ha ha, goes over to his chair, sits down, turns around in his chair, and suddenly he is in this gorgeous, glittering tux with one golden horn coming out of his head on the left-hand side. He's got glitter in his beard now. He's got this beautiful giant earring. His bin mark is huge in the middle of his forehead. He is beat to the gods. <laughs> this is this makes the movie feel, even though it's made in 1980, it feels like it was shot 30 years earlier because all of these deep, bright colors and things like that, it feels like a Star Trek original series where, oh no, on this week, we landed on the planet of the Bimmark Devil. Uh, it's Yeah, it's got some real heavy, like, Argento color vibes going mm. on because... Everything is like, this room is all in green. This room is all in red. This room is all in blue and lit that way. And it's just bodies and debauchery happening. And Alfie keeps drinking this hallucinatory drink as more queers and queens and daddies and and people of various types and genders walk by him and make him feel uncomfortable in his heteronormativity because quite frankly if you were having an awesome time at just a a great big queer party and this hetero dude storms in demanding heteronormativity be restored i I have to save my girlfriend from you all (laughs) get the fuck out of here alfie uh, and the movie decides to show us how drugs and booze work by uh, giving us double vision. Ooh, oh no, he can't focus his eyes properly. And then Pandy sings, Coming for You, as she drags him around the evil sex loft. Yeah. It is not a subtle song. Nobody involved in this, I texted you, <laughs> has ever had sex before. <laughs> This is written by grade sixes on the playground, where they're like, I know the word coming is important somehow. I'm not sure why. No, guys. It means she's like like a predator in the night. She's like a panther because she's coming for him, and he doesn't know it. He's unsuspecting. And... (laughs) I forget who originally said it, but it's the quote, uh, everything about... Everything is about sex. Except for sex, that's about power. Oh, I know that. Is that from Clue? Uh, I don't think so. Let me look it up. Look it up. Anyway, Pandy drags Alfie through the evil sex loft, through orgies and couples and all kinds of people doing all kinds of consensual stuff with each other because they're all having a good time and they're all consenting adults. Okay, this Um, says it's by Oscar Wilde, but I... There's a lot of things that the internet says Oscar Wilde said. Yeah, apparently Oscar Wilde made all of the wittiest quotes in the world at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, as he's walking through all this, his uh, talcum powder hetero self wants to die. (laughs) Pandy strips down, strips down into a beautiful pink overall pantsuit that's bedazzled around the collar it's oh it is to die for she looks ravishing and uh 
she fucks him good while some sex choreo happens above their head. Yeah, he, uh, apparently this actress was not very comfortable singing this song until she was persuaded that it, you know, it, don't think of it as you singing this song, Thinking it, think of it as the character singing this song. But I feel like anyone ought to be embarrassed by singing this song. I wouldn't be. This, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll do this song as part of my numbers. Uh, it's, there's there's a lot of soft focus lens happening. There's a whole bunch of beds with different couples all doing sex choreography. Yeah. It's what happens uh, right before the lights dim on Tony and Maria. Mm. Uh, I also have the note here. Every nut so hard you kaleidoscope vision. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, My only question here is, Mm -hmm. um, it's the movie's having a real hard time really expressing that this is supposed to be a sexual assault. Yeah, I I was watching it, I was like, is it? But that's the problem that neither Alfie nor Baby express anything throughout either of their experiences like this. Uh the first party that they go to where BB immediately starts making out with Dandy. And I'm like, is, is this the effect of the drugs? Is she just excited to meet somebody famous for the first time? It's in no way clear. So watching this movie, I'm like, I feel like I know that the character of Elfie doesn't want this, but nothing in the movie is telling me that in this moment. Yeah. Like he doesn't even regret it later because he Mm -hmm. says, nothing about it later there's no like oh i'm so sorry or oh i i i hate that i did that no he's just like he alfie's off yeah he alfie's off he uh he background cartoon animation walks off yeah uh the song climaxes as pandy climaxes and alfie escapes and stumbles his way through the sex sloth only to Kool-Aid man his way into (laughs) Bibi's room by smashing through her door. She is in the middle of having sex with Dandy, and she doesn't even recognize Alfie. She's like, who the fuck are you? What are you doing in here? I'm having sex. Rude. And she is rightly angry, because that is fucking rude. The door was (laughs) closed. But this is his one thing. He has light attack, heavy attack, and barge into the room. And uh, Alfie stumbles out into the night, only to be awoken the next morning by a gross old hippie. Yeah, he falls asleep in a park. Yeah, he's woken by a gross old hippie and a a throng of children who are all screaming, BB, 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 because apparently in his uh, park passed out state, he was screaming out BB. And this gross old hippie man takes him to a gathering of hetero hippies where he explains that these are all refugees from the 60s. Like, hold on a second. Wait. Back up. <laughs> oh, Did we're you... going to have some issues with the timeline here. Did you just say that they are refugees from the 60s? Like, they were in the 60s, and then they left, and they stopped existing for the 70s, <laughs> and came back into existence in 1994 to hide out in caves and parks 
Yeah, Billy Pilgrim's progress has slipped out of time. Well, they all have stupid hippie names like Moon Lotus or something Flower. And but the, the thing is, this uh, this head hippie, uh, you know, puts one knee up on a tree stump, leans into Alfie and says, you know who else was a virgin who can't drive? <laughs> you know who else went into unwanted places and tore shit apart? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know who else went up to a tree once and killed it because it wouldn't give him fruit when he asked. Okay, so that's that's been one of my favorite stories for a long time Absolutely. from the Bible Absolutely. because of how weird it is. Do you know, this is what we were talking about before, about uh, losing the mm -hmm. connotations of the culture. Do you know why that story exists? Please, give it to me, because I've been, I have been curious for years. Like, what is the point of this? Anyway, let's hold on. Let's back up a second, just in case nobody's on the same page. Yes. <laughs> we, two non-devout Christians, know this parable, this Jesus story really well. <laughs> because it's a fun as fuck Jesus story. Jesus goes up to a fig tree one day. And because he's Jesus, he can talk to the fig tree. And he says to the fig tree, hey, fig buddy, can you make me some figs so that I can have some figs? Because that's kind of your job. And the fig tree goes, I'm real sorry, buddy. It's not the right time of the season for figs. I can't help you. I'm sorry. So Jesus goes, oh, okay, I get it. I guess you're going to fucking die now. And he withers the tree with a touch. Okay. So if I gave you a picture of a laurel wreath, you would probably associate that with like ancient Rome, right? And their leaders? Yeah, yeah Caesar. Uh, so the fig tree was a symbol of the uh, sort of rabbinical leaders. So it's all about Jesus being unsatisfied with the organization that's currently in place. Really? Yes, yes. But I, for years, knew that story as just this one time Jesus really wanted figs and got pissed off that he couldn't get some. Yeah, because the way it was explained to me by a Christian... He said, um, oh, this is a story that that's about uh, it's easier to get uh, belief from believers than it is belief from non-believers or something, something like okay. that. Saying like, yeah, you know, we we should we should help the people who want to be helped or, or rather than the people who don't want to be helped. And to me, that still seems like an asshole thing to do because it's just like, so you kill them like. That Jesus Jesus could have walked away from the fig tree. Instead, he kills it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's a parable about uh, organizational overhaul. Okay, that yep. makes way more sense to me in yep. in that context, as opposed <laughs> to Jesus being a petty bitch and killing a tree because he's got the power to do so. Because if you want that, there's still plenty of stories like that. Oh, yeah, like the one where he kills the kid and then blinds the parents because the parents complained that Jesus killed the kid. Uh, so never tell us that you didn't learn anything from Is It Camp, kids. <laughs> anyway, I hate these hippies. 
<laughs> Bibi wakes up to breakfast. For with... somebody, again, I told you this before we started recording, I think, is for somebody who espouses very hippie-like virtues, you really hate hippies. I don't, I just don't like the wishy-washy, namby-pamby kind of like, well, you know, if it's bound to happen, it's bound to happen kind of thing of like, you know, uh, we'll just sit off on the side and take care of just the things that we like, like not wearing deodorant and stuff. And it's like, like you're trying to make the world a better place. How about you actually do it as mm. opposed to talking about doing it? That's my issue with hippies. Any hippies out there who are actually doing stuff to try to make the world a better place, good for you guys. Keep it so up. So it's not so much hippies you have an issue with as slacktivists. Thank you. That's a better word. But these people in this film are slacktivists. <laughs> Let's be fair. They've gone and morlocked themselves. They live in a van down by the river, but they don't even have a van. They have a series of caves down by the river. Uh, BB wakes up to breakfast with Pandy and Mr. Shake. Uh, and Mr. Shake asks her if you want to join him for a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the Finnish way to pronounce it. But I just love that he's just so... The boys are gone down for a sauna. Would you like to join me for a sauna? <laughs> great, great. I love it. Uh, Pandy convinces her to go find Alfie. Because she got dicked so good by Alfie. <laughs> she's, not, she's not evil anymore, guys. She's learned the error of her ways. Because he... He fucked her so good. <laughs> Plot point. Yeah, it's something about uh, now that I've fucked your boyfriend, I understand that he truly loves you. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been fucked by somebody who could be less interested in me than him. <laughs> have you seen me? I'm Pandy. She's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. You can, she, she's you, great. Uh, her and Shake make, make them the stars of the movie. You can literally stick her in any number of bad outfits and she pulls it off. Because guess what? She wears a lot of bad outfits and she pulls them off. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. We cut back to the hippies getting broken up by the cops. Because I guess they've set a bunch of fires in a public space with no permit and didn't put them out. So, yeah, I'd accost those hippies, too. You guys are a fire hazard safety. Get the fuck out of here. Then we cut back to Pandy now helping BB to escape. And uh, the bad guys just let her go. There's yep. no fight. There's no, like, oh, no, if only we can sneak. No, no, Mr. Shake just goes, all right, fine, wait. I guess. Conflict? Uh, I don't know her. No, there's, there, that, that bitch left ages ago. He's <laughs> He slaps Pandy, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. this slap causes Pandy to go off and sing about how she got dicked so good. She's good now. Yeah. And Baby has to find Alfie and she can't find him. And she goes to Miriam Margulies and she says, oh, he left like this morning. Again, the timeline of this movie, not very strong, but no, he lives in a but... van down by the river. You can probably find him there. <laughs> Somehow Miriam Margulies knows this. Yeah. I guess on, on his way out, he said, Bye, Miriam. I'm moving into the van down by the river. You know the one. And she goes, Oh, yeah, I know the one. Yeah. The one with all the hippies. The one with all the people hiding from the authorities. 
Yeah. And this is where I have now written the note. To be fair, the last 15 minutes of this film suck. It sucks all the life out of the previous film because it reasserts heteronormativity and Christianity so hard. Boo. Yeah, that's a good point. If we if you just stop on Pandy's song, you don't really lose anything. You end on a but, relative high point of Pandy performing. But we have to keep going. Because finds, we have to get saved, Sam. She finds uh, the hippie leader, the gross old man hippie leader. He leads her down into the Morlock tunnels where <laughs> the, the hippies have all learned to live. And she says... Uh, he says to her, oh, they've moved down here because they don't like television. I'm like, that's why they moved down here? They don't yeah. like TV? <laughs> She's like, ah, oh, how could they live down here? And it's all like, oh, we find ways. And then they have a kumbaya moment as she's walking through the impoverished masses, like some saint who deigns her presence upon them, finds Alfie, and it... I guess cuts to five years later suddenly. It doesn't tell you that it's five years later. It doesn't it tell tells you... you that it's a year. It tells you that it's a year in dialogue. But Alfie and BB now have a child who is conservatively three to four years old. Yeah, huh? He's got a beard. She's got hippie clothes on. Yeah. Oh, Nobody's man. wearing socks nobody's it must smell just absolutely <laughs> reek and they're all having a big kumbaya in the park when all of a sudden the cops pull up and <laughs> they they're all surrounded by mr boogalow his entourage and the cops who are going to round them up into hippie death camps i guess I, yeah like okay sure Maybe. Because they when... finally tracked down BB. Her cunning skills at living underground have Her evaded cunning... them for this long. So they're all getting rounded up when I need I need a second to gather <laughs> myself. A literal Deus ex machina comes from the sky in the form of a Cadillac that drives in from space and a man walks out of the Cadillac and he's all ethereal and kind of see-through and then he disappears and then he reappears on earth with them and this is Mr. Tops. Remember how often we mentioned Mr. Tops in the previous hour and 20 minutes of this film? <laughs> oh wait, we didn't. Oh, We never does... mentioned him? Huh. <laughs> bizarre because the whole plot hinges upon him at this one moment apparently the hippies have been talking for some time that mr tops would return and take them away from this awful place you know like that kids in the hall sketch oh what is the metal oh i am just thinking about mr tops where he is what he is doing who what he, he is thinking is he thinking of me and if you will ever come to take me away from this awful place. Oh, Sylvie, you must stop thinking about Mr. Tops, where he is, what he is doing, <laughs> who he is with, what he is thinking, if he is thinking of you, and whether or not he will come and take you away from this awful place. So he shows up and he takes 
come away from this awful place. We joked in a previous episode about how there's three endings. You uh, you know it's a tragedy when it ends with people dead. You know it's a comedy when it ends with a wedding. And you know it's Greece when it ends with people flying off in a car into the distance. I didn't know Greece. anything else had the Greece ending. Here you go. <laughs> Mr. Tops. Mr. Tops talks with Mr. Bugalow, who says, he says, I'm going to take these smelly hippies away to another planet. Not, no joke. He says to another planet, we're going to restart civilization there. This time we'll do it without you. And Mr. Bugalow's like, you can't have civilization without me. And Mr. Tops, God, because he's God. Wait, what? I know. Uh, he says, <laughs> well, I'm going to give it a gosh darn try as he walks <laughs> up into the sky into his floating Cadillac. And then Alfie and Bibi and their four-year-old, one-year-old walk up into the <laughs> sky. <laughs> and then a bunch of other hippies and Pandy, because she's been saved by a real good dickin. And... That's it. <laughs> That's Credits it. roll. No questions. Oh my god, I hate this ending so much. <laughs> I I personally love it because looking back, I'm like, this is not the hero that the movie deserves, but it's the hero we need. This feels like Gromit building the track in front of him. <laughs> as as it goes, and then literally getting to one last piece that just says, God shows up, question mark, <laughs> and saying, that's good enough. Uh, I think it's time for the big question, Sam. Uh, is it camp? If this isn't camp, nothing is. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, it is a real bad musical. I mean, I love it. I do love this film, despite its many, 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 many flaws. I love it. Except for that last 15 minutes. I can easily stop the film and just go, yep, Pandy sang, the end. <laughs> uh, the songs are bad. The choreography is bad. The, the morality play of it, this, this is the big thing about the morality play of it. Usually with morality play, when a person gives in, is seduced by the bad stuff, they usually get, oh, I don't know, consequences for their actions. BB is perfectly fine throughout this whole film. We oh, don't yeah. see her wasting away. We don't see her sick. We don't see her becoming a bad person. She just, like, I had some drugs. I had some sex. I had some rock and roll. And, um, yeah, everything's great. This world, this dystopian future of 1994 is the gay disco utopia of 1994. <laughs> I love it. It's camp. It definitely is. Sarah, is the apple camp? I'm going to disagree with you here. <gasps> bear with me. Bear yeah, with me. I, oh, I, do, I do need. Yes, bear with. It's not camp. It's so bad, it's good. And those are two different concepts. 
Mm-hmm. We on. haven't had anything yet on the show that was so bad it's good. I feel like camp needs to have a certain joie de vivre, a certain jouissance, which this movie does not have. You can argue that certain performers like Vladek Shebal and Shake and Pandy are trying to make this movie camp, but with Alfie and Bibi as our main characters, it's not working. It's limping along. But despite the fact that these songs are inarguably bad, the costumes are bad, the setting is bad, the writing is horrific, I really, really enjoy this movie, and I don't think it's because of that je ne sais quoi of camp. I think it's just... I enjoyed the bizarreness, the how did this get made, the oh my god, I have to show you this of the apple. Oh, this is definitely a I have to show you this. This is <laughs> this yeah. is something that I want to take great pleasure in showing more people at some point. This is oh my god, I think this milk's gone bad. Here, smell it. <laughs> But I, I don't think this movie has the momentum to be camp. All right, fair, fair. I, I see your argument and I understand it. I do believe that this is camp mm-hmm. because it's so bad, it's good. But because it's, it's so earnest in what it's trying to do, which is a morality play, and failing every step of the way, because boy, oh boy, does it make the gay disco lifestyle look amazing. Yeah, you have no issues if you live that lifestyle. Yeah, there's there's no problems. So, yeah, all right. Agree to disagree, but agree to love it. I knew, I knew you were going to uh, be shocked by my verdict, but I, I stand strong. I will not be swayed. And here at is it camp uh i would never ever try to uh drug you with green drink and force you into saying that this is camp (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us today on our exploration of the apple please subscribe on your podcaster of choice leave a star rating and review where you can because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is yes and next week we will be celebrating Sarah's birthday. It's my birthday. Well, it's not my birthday next week, but it's my birthday when roughly when this movie comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When this when this episode is. comes out. But uh, as it is her birthday, we have decided she will get a birthday pick, a film that may or may not be camp, but one that she just wants us to watch and discuss regardless. And that film is the 2009 Star Trek film. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I uh, saw this movie in a really weird time of my life, and I sort of clung onto it like a life raft. Uh, Sam was living with me at the time and saw this happen. I no, I, I really enjoy this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Star Trek person. When I was a kid, I was a Star Wars person, and as I grew up, I grew into a Star Trek person because I went, "Oh, this is better. This stuff is way better." But yeah, it's uh, it's a movie that I just I greatly enjoy. It's probably in my top five movies. Great, and we will find out next week 
if J.J. Abrams has made a camp film from this. <laughs> so you, our audience, our campers, can continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Reese Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S, the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Ta-ra. Bye.